0: We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is
1: intercepted! Intercepted! The Ducks have the ball.
0: To the end zone! To it end Oregon! Mariota dies! Touchdown! And they hand it off. Straight on! CJ
2: Verdell wins the game for Oregon. Inside the ten! A hand trick! A touchdown from Justin Herbert!
0: Welcome to the first episode of Big Duck Energy
2: with your host. William and Alex Cornell and Ellis McNulty. Hello, hi, ciao. Welcome in <coughs> to the <laughs> first episode of Big Duck Energy. This is our inaugural episode. Uh, my name is William Cornell. I am honored and privileged to be joined by two of my brothers, Big L, Ellis McNulty, Alex Cornell. We made it, fellas. How we feeling?
0: Big brah, we here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: big brah
0: yeah <laughs> no i'm excited it's gonna be fun yeah, Fucking
2: fire off it, yeah let's just <laughs> let's just get right into it i mean uh um as far as our past with the, with the ducks goes we've all spent a, a good amount of time in eugene um as a group we all went to school down there um in some capacity so um it feels good to be doing this you guys um it's kind of crazy that all these years later we're, we're here doing this as a group but um like i said i'm, I'm honored and privileged to be doing it with you guys Um, A couple things I can guarantee on this show Uh, One, a lot of banter Uh, That's probably between the two of us And whatever poor soul comes on this show I can guarantee some guests And I can guarantee we'll be shitting on the Huskies Pretty much every episode As two kids from Seattle, that's just going to happen all right. Uh, No stone will go unturned as far as that goes But um, let's just get right into it Fellas Um, So we're nine days away From the Ducks playing their first game Against Fresno State uh, we can kind of recap what the Ducks have been doing the last couple of years. Uh, Mario Cristobal is going into his fourth year as head coach. Oregon's coming off of two back-to-back conference championship seasons. Um, the momentum seems to be going in the right trajectory, of course, um, but I would like to get your guys' predictions. How are you guys feeling going into the first game of the year?
0: I mean, Fresno State, I feel fucking fantastic about Fresno State. <laughs> but after that, it gets a little shaky, but um, no, I mean, I feel I mean, I mean feel good. I feel good about this roster, about this team, just where we're headed. Um, it's it's going to be a fun two weeks. We're going to have a, a, a week one where we're filling ourselves, and then a week two where we get humbled a little bit, but we'll talk about that a little more.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not really worried about Fresno State. I'm super excited, though, to see what we're uh... – capable of, because I think we got a ton of good, uh, depth, um, ton of depth. So it's going to be sick to see, um, some of those, I don't know if you've been following recruiting, um, closely, like I have, I'm fucking sick in the, sick in the head duck fan, my sick puppy, but, uh, it would be cool though, to see all those guys that necessarily, you know, won't get playing time for the rest of the year. Um, I think this is a good opportunity for them to to show out and see some of kind of the next generation uh, ducks that we're going to have over the next couple of years. So um, I I don't necessarily see it being an issue. Um, The game's at home, uh, if I'm not correct. So we'll probably shit on them. I'm not really worried about it. But um, (laughs) it's (laughs) it's probably going to be at least a 30-point game, in my opinion. But – It'll be cool, man. There's been a lot of hype this this off season, so it's it's time to air it out on these guys. This is a good this is a good warm up game. Um, kick the snot out of the first opponent, make yourself feel good about yourself, and then yeah, no, of <laughs> then it's on to then it's on to Ohio State. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll kind of continue into what Ella said. I mean, when
2: you look at this roster, there's a lot to like. Um, Oregon's been absolutely on fire on the recruiting, trail. Shout out to Mario Cristobal. The guy's bringing in talent like Oregon's never seen. Um, As far as going into this year, and I don't need to be a point, Dexter, here, but, hey, uh, we got to do what we got to do. We got nine returners uh, on offense, seven out of the 11 on defense. Uh, We have the highest rated returning talent index in the Pac-12, the ninth and 11th in the country as far as returning talent goes, in addition to that returning talent as i mentioned earlier we got a bunch of young kids coming into oregon so there's a lot to like on this roster guys um I personally i think with how the year ended last year in 2020 i i'm personally excited to see how we start the year um i'm ready for the ducks to kind of bounce back i know that it was kind of a disappointing end of the year last year in 2020 and I, like you said alex i'm ready to see oregon just kick the shit out of fresno state uh and i think that would be a, i'm ready for a statement win obviously it is an inferior opponent but you always want to get back on the field, especially after how the season ended last year. So um, going more into the depth chart, I want to take a look at maybe what the strongest position group is and what the weakest position group is. I want to hear your guys' takes on that. Uh, We'll start with you, Alex. Um, What do you think the strongest position group is on this team?
1: I think the wide receivers are nasty. Um, and, And generally, U of O doesn't have, like, a crazy wide receiver room like we've had some good guys in the past like Josh Huff uh, Dylan Mitchell as of recent um, Braylon Addison people like that but this year I really think like and, and those are like one dude on each team right um, <clears throat> Josh Huff and Braylon Addison played together but um, he was younger and Josh Huff was was a senior I believe so um, but this year it's completely different there's a ton of uh, talent there and even like the like the third string and four string dudes are fucking crazy, dude. Like that Dante <laughs> Thornton kid from Baltimore, he's gonna be sick to watch. I know he had a really good spring game. Um, you return all three starters. You get Micah Pittman, Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson's been holding it down. He led the uh, led the team last year in receiving yards. I think Mike, Micah Pittman's due for a breakout season. He's had a pretty unlucky uh, career. Oregon and Jalen Reds has been in the program, I think, for like five years. Dude's like a super senior. Could be 25. Could be 26. <laughs> you
0: know, tough Who game cares? Game. He's, I think he's, he's sick, dude. He's I mean, like. I mean, yeah, all, all this
2: guy seems to do is score touchdowns. I mean, when they get in the red zone, especially in 2019, it seemed like every time he caught the ball, he was in the end zone. Uh, I think he might be one of the last few remaining recruits from the Willie Tiger era. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he might be the last one, if not
0: one of. So, um, good old Willie.
1: Good old Willie the Snake.
0: <laughs> hey, just running, role to just hit. just killing programs on his way. I guess he did give us crystal ball, so he's
1: good. For, he's good for something. He,
0: he
2: did. I'll take that. He really did. Uh, but yeah, you talk about a guy that leapfrogged his way all the way to the top and fell all the way back down. Willie a, uh, <laughs> love to a that example. I love to of, see that. I uh, was one of those guys. But um, yeah, I think the wide receiver group is, is absolutely loaded. I'm personally are excited to see what Troy Franklin can do, assuming he even gets playing time this year. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, he's, he's one of the top recruits that Oregon's ever landed, um, a five star wide receiver. Um, so we'll see um, about him. I'm also excited for Chris Hudson. He had a good spring game. So I think they're absolutely loaded. Uh whatever quarterback does end up starting the year, um it's not like they have any shortage of the talent to throw the ball to. So we're good there. Wait, hold um, up. Who's
1: your Wait, who's your who's your uh who's your best unit? You didn't you didn't talk about your best unit.
2: Well, I already know else is going to go D-line or sorry, uh sacks. <laughs> <Facts>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in the, I believe in the D-line, but Tracks. Hey, I, hey, uh, I'll take that optimism, bro. Um, I'm going to go with the offensive line. They're returning all five stars this year. Um, obviously, there was a drop off when they lost all those. Players. They lost Penny Sewell. They lost Throckmore. You know, pretty much their entire offensive line after 2019 to the draft uh, and just graduation. Um, I thought they saw a little bit of a transition um, going into this new offensive line in 2020. Uh, but since they all are re- returning, I expect big things from that group. Especially, you know, as the offensive line coach, Mario, uh, Alex Mariball, I think the ceiling's high for these guys. Uh, not to mention, look, they play for Mario Cristobal. He's obviously focused on offensive line. I think like eight of their, eight of the top ten all-time offensive line recruits are currently on the team. Um, so that's just the position that I look to and have optimism for pretty much every year. And I think that's uh, that'll pretty much run standard for the rest of the Ducks fans. But Ellis, uh, who you got? Who do you think is the strongest position group going
0: into 2021, Ellis? Strongest position group, I would have to say, I mean, obviously the wide receiving core is ridiculous. The O-line is ridiculous. Um, I would probably say the running back group. I just think there's so much depth there. You know, when you got guys like Sean Dollars, you don't even know how much playing time he's going to see this year, and he's a freak. You got guys like Seven McGee waiting in the rear, might be redshirted. Um, But then you talk about the the two guys up front, C.J. Verdell, we all know what he's capable of if he actually comes out and plays – the way we want to see him play, you know, if he can stay healthy um, and then, you know, Travis died backing him up super versatile, you know, with this offense. I'm excited to see kind of how they get him in space. And, and yeah, man, that running back course, some, some special. So that's what I'm excited about as far as position groups go.
2: Yeah, I mean, Travis Dye is kind of one of those guys that um, – I don't know if he's going to actually get the starting nod. I know that Joe Moorhead likes to use kind of multiple uh, running backs. They kind of do that running back by committee thing. They like to get running backs out in space. If there was really any, like, silver line of of light for a last year's season, I'd say that Travis – as far as offense goes, I'd say that Travis Dye was certainly one of them. Um, he seemed to have a great year, so hopefully he continued that momentum. So now, conversely – what do you, Where do you guys see weaknesses on this roster? We can start with you, Ellis. I know you, you already brought up the D-line, but uh, go a little more into that, yeah. man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely looking at the D-line as the weakness. If I had to pick one again, this team is so stacked, like, as far as potential and just talent coming out of high school. Um, but the D-line, you know, with KT, after KT, I don't really see that, like, crazy standout player. I see a lot of really good guys that I think will make a difference. Um but yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, what am I? Gonna, I'm going to pick the linebacking core with like those guys. No, I can't pick that. Five <laughs> stars. They can't pick
2: that. Yeah, yeah. The
0: DBs. Yeah. I just, I just believe in the heart of this DB core too much. So I think if I had to pick one, it'd be the D line. Um, outside of KT, I mean, you can only put so many bodies on a guy, and then we'll see what happens with these other guys. Um, I'm excited to see kind of what happens with KT in this new defense, like how they move them around, how they utilize them. That might shift my perception of the D line a bit. But if I had to pick a group, I'm worried about them.
2: Okay, I'll save mine for last, Alex. Uh, go ahead and give me – where do you think the weakest spot on this roster is?
0: I don't think there's a ton,
1: but if I, if I had to uh, pinpoint one, it would be the defensive backs. But it's hard to say that because um, I played safety in high school. Freshman football, boys. Let's go. We got the pictures to prove it too. We still. Let's go. I still on the and, and, I played, and, and I played place kicker. Come on. But um, Ooh, no, I love.
2: I completely forgot about that. Wow. Yeah, dog. No, right.
1: <laughs> Anyways, uh, I yeah, it's hard to pull one you,
2: Before you continue, bro, from twenty yards out, you you got yourself and you got Camden Lewis.
1: Me, bro. If, if you, don't you don't pick twenty, yeah, I'm saying you don't pick pitches, use, just, bro.
2: No, no. Camden right Lewis,
1: Camden Lewis <laughs> is like hitting the mascot, bro. Half the time. Yeah, bro. <laughs> it's,
2: it 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 was rough. uh, well, yeah, the last couple of years have been rough, but uh, anyways.
1: Anyways, yeah, uh, I'd say defensive mm-hmm. backs, but it's crazy to even say that because, on the flip flip note of that, they have crazy talent returning um, with Mikel Wright and uh, Verone McKinley. So, and you have a guy like Dante Manning, incoming consensus five star. He looks crazy. I know he got hurt last year. Um, he's gonna have a great season, but there was they were a little shaky last year. I I, I don't want to. Uh, it's hard to just be like they to really like pinpoint like how well they played last season. Cause it was kind of a, it was a shitty season. Like we won the conference we went to the Fiesta bowl, which was great, but it was a weird season. We started, we started last out of all the power five conferences. They didn't have a full off season. There was weird COVID protocols and all that bullshit. So <clears throat> I don't know, but I would say they were shaky last year. Um, but I think they do have the the ability to be one of the strongest position units um, on the team by the end of the year. So, um, which which makes which which is interesting. Um, they're they're coming in with some younger guys. Um, obviously, we didn't get to have Brady Breeze and Javon Holland last year, which sucked. But there is a lot of incoming talent. It'll be interesting to see. What happens with the two dudes that uh, were suspended for doing airsoft drive-bys in Eugene? (laughs) It will be be interesting to see if they come back. But uh, I'd say that's probably, in my opinion, the week. (laughs) Fucking reckless, bro. Come on, it happens. Uh, hey, bro, we, we were
2: all young at one point, bro. I mean, I I don't want to you know I don't want to disclose my age here on this podcast, bro. We're gonna leave that up to interpretation, but hey, we all did stupid shit. Not, I, it's, I not, it's not act like we were it, doing
1: it, bullshit, it, it, in Eugene, when we were in college. It, <laughs> it, yeah, mind, be we don't need we
2: don't need to, don't need to air it out publicly, but yeah, if if, if, if uh, I couldn't sit here and say <laughs> that I wasn't doing stupid shit when I was in Eugene, and that probably goes for all three of us. Um, and anyway. yeah, that's
1: that's my pick. Um, what's your pick, Will?
2: I'm going quarterback on this one, guys. Um, oh, facts, facts. And it's not That's like – it, it's not that I don't think that they can be good. Um, I think that, like what you kind of mentioned, Alex, you, you kind of mentioned that although you see the defensive backs as a weakness, you think their ceiling's high, they have the potential to be good. I think the quarterback room has the potential to be good too. Um, based on what we saw on Anthony Brown last year in limited snaps – Dude, he got the offense going like they, every time he came in, it seems like they were moving the ball. Now we'll obviously see what he can do uh, on a full season slate, but I just think the inexperience, you know, he's going to be a first year starter for the ducks. Um, He's going to be tested early at Ohio state. A lot of people have mixed feelings about him in the fan base. I'm optimistic about his performance this year, but I still think if you were to pick anything on this roster, that that position group probably is the weakest point. Um, yeah. That said, I do think that Ty Thompson, Robbie Asher, any combination of that two, one of the other is the future of the program. Uh, I think the you know, ceiling is going to be – like the sky is going to be the limit for that group going forward. But if you're looking at just this year, I think that's probably the weakest point. And that, I'll actually get to that later. I think that the quarterback will be the key to success uh, one way or another uh, for I 2021. Feel like, I feel
1: like it's changed too because like at the end of last year, everyone was like super hyped on A, B. Mm-hmm. Like, every time he went in – and he just has swag. He can run. I feel like every time he got in in the red zone, you know, he was scoring. So um, I agree. And he looked good. Like, passing, he looked good. But I just feel like over, the, like, the off season, I don't know if it's me, like, reading into too much, like, media and, like, fake the, the Oregon Report. Yeah, like, I don't know if it's, like, fake news. But I, it seems like – and this happens every off season. Like, oh, who's going to be the quarterback this year? So maybe we're looking into it too much. But he definitely has a swagger – um, that Tyler Shuck did not have. Um, yeah, I mean, so.
2: and, and the honestly, the criticism of Anthony Brown amongst the fan base was kind of shocking because I thought he looked good when he came in. You guys got to remember, that that was a first year in a new offense under Moorhead. I think they only had what, like, I, I read something like, they only had like four practices before the season even started. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm interested to see what he can do uh, with a full offseason um, and, you know, a starting duty. Um, the, the players seem you know, to love him, you know? You know?
1: Players seem to love him. Like, from what I've read, like, I know Micah Pittman was hyping them up. It it seems like uh, the players respect him, obviously, one, and um, they're talking his phrases. So I'm excited just for – either way, I'm stoked to have uh, a new beginning at the quarterback position, even if it means A, B starts for one year and he's gone, which kind of sucks with the whole um, transfer portal and all that. But it will be interesting to see a new new guy – managing the backfield so no uh, I,
2: I agree and i think uh, you know quarterback mm-hmm. competitions are fun i mean we haven't had one in a long time i mean alex and i you know grew up in you know born and raised in seattle um it kind of reminds me of the matt flynn russell wilson saga back in 2012 <laughs> when they were kind of picking up their <laughs> bro we dodged a bullet i can't believe that almost yeah happened. I know, it's crazy, and I don't, I obviously don't think those two situations are the same, but it's definitely nice no. to, uh, you know, it's exciting to have change. One other point that I'd like to make about Anthony Brown is, I think he has a really, really strong supporting cast at essentially every other position on offense. We just mentioned, I mean, we literally named off, with the exception of China, we literally named off our strongest points in the roster, all yeah. offense. Um, Ellis said yeah. running back, I went offensive line, you went wide receiver, Alex, so I don't think that he needs to really carry a huge load. I mean, if he can distribute the ball and just kind of be the guy that he's always been and be comfortable in this offense, I think he can succeed. Uh, Yeah. But I don't think he necessarily has to
1: be. I don't think he has to be that guy. But if you look, I mean, it depends what your expectations are for the season. If you look at recently a lot of the teams that go to the CFP, you have to have a high caliber quarterback. Um, I don't know if we're there. We can talk about that later. We can talk about expectations this season as a whole later. But if you want to talk about the CFP, which I'm sure most people are interested in in hearing about, you have to have a guy Mm -hmm. of that caliber. I don't know if he's that guy, um, but he is the type of guy that he could be a plug and play quarterback, get into the system, um, get the ball out to those playmakers like we mentioned earlier and have a 10 win season and win the conference. So, uh, it just depends what what your outlook is on this season. If you're a, if you're an Oregon homer and have nothing other than the expectation that they're going to win national championship, then yeah, you deserve the right to be super critical. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally don't think it's that type of year and that type of team. I think we're we're on the doorstep. But if he gets in there and um, can utilize the tools that he has at his disposal, he'll be fine. He'll be good. So, um, and we'll find out a lot the ball about that. The yeah, and you we'll know. know a lot more after Fresno State, and we'll know even more after Ohio State because <laughs> shit's going to hit the fan in a good or bad way. So we'll, we'll know a lot more after that <laughs> yeah. game.
2: Yeah. Uh, real quick before we move on to our next topic, do you guys get any give any chance of Ty Thompson starting this year? Just real quick.
0: Bro, I think he's going to register a... personally. What's that? I don't know. I think he's going to register personally. There's something. I, I don't know why they would be registered with the same number, him and AB. Only thing that makes sense is AB has that number for one year and Ty's trying to lock it up for the following season. And, I mean, if you do plan on playing him and you have Robbie, who's still a young guy, you know, and you believe in Butterfield, so I don't think he's yeah. going to see the field, bro. I think he might play the few games he's allowed to play and then sit him down.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good problem to have. Honestly, like, worst-case scenario, if AB's not working out, you can throw in a Ty Thompson or Robbie Asherd. Um, but if we're talking <laughs> about Ty Thompson specifically, um I don't know. It's a good problem to have, and I'm pretty indifferent on it because you could go one or two ways. He can either be the starter um, and throw him into, you know, trial by fire against Ohio State, um, and then, you know, that will that will prepare him for the years to come against – I know we play Georgia next year. So um, – but also, if you want to have him behind a transfer quarterback like A, B, and just learn the system, stay healthy um, – That's also, that's a solid move too. So I'm pretty, I don't really, I'm pretty indifferent. Like I said, I don't really think one way or the other, but it's a good problem to have if you're a Duck fan and if you're um, with the program just as a whole. So
2: Yeah, and uh, going on what you said, it's absolutely a good problem to have. Gone are the days of Jeff Lockie and Taylor Alley as your backup quarterbacks. I mean, you had like, you know, an elite quarterback at the, at the top and then just a drastic drop off um, at two and three. Uh, So it is nice to have depth there uh, for once as an Oregon fan, definitely a new era there. Um, Let's get into coaching stuff guys. And before we get into this, I kind of want to, I want to briefly comment. Um, I want to get your guys' idea for a, uh, well, I'll just come out right out and ask you uh, what would you guys, (laughs) how would you rate Mario Cristobal's approval rating? Um, And I'll preface that by saying a lot of the people in the fan base, um, you see it a lot on Twitter, and of course you see a lot of bullshit on Twitter, that goes without saying. But I know a lot of people are highly critical uh, of Mario, given how last year went. Um, I think a lot of people are beginning to question his game day coaching ability, Um, his recruiting ability. Obviously, (laughs) I don't think anyone's bringing that into question. but a lot has been made about his in- ability or lack thereof to coach on game day. Uh, they finished the year four and three um, in 2020. They lost to Oregon State, Cal, and of course Iowa State in their Fiesta Bowl appearance. Um, what would you, what, you know, how, what's your reactions to that, Alex? What, what do you, what do you make of the, the criticisms of Mario Cristobal? I, well, I think 2020? fans
1: are, I think fans are fucking stupid because they're <laughs> they're forgetting about what happened when Chip Kelly left and the drop-off we had after the national championship lost to Ohio State, the year Mariota won the Heisman. Um, the program went a totally different direction. Um, and those were, that was a dark chapter for sure. So, you know, I think people are forgetting about that. We're in a good situation. All things are pointing um, on an upward trajectory in terms of where the program's at. So, yeah, if you want to be – A weird ass like Twitter person that just wants to dissect everything and be that type of person go for it that's not me um I think he's a great coach he's a players coach people love playing for him his recruiting is unbelievable it's the best we've ever had at the school um that's undeniable and last year dude just that whole season sucked so like and even if we did win the Pac-12 championship that was sick we had the chance to win three in a row I don't think we've ever done that um, which is great. But last year, man, there's just so many things that went into it with covid, a shortened season, no off season, really no preparation, not the type that they're having now. Um, it's you can't really you can't really analyze what happened last year as anything that's indicative of him as a coach. Um, in yeah, my I, opinion, I, I think he, I think what he's doing is great. The culture he's brought to Eugene is completely different than what we've seen in the past, especially what mm-hmm. I saw as a student when I was at U of O with like the blur offense. Um, it's totally, it's a totally different team, which I like. Um, it's a phys- the physicality they bring that he's the influence he's brought to the team there. Um, it's great. So I, I'm a hundred percent on his approval rating. I'm not going to look at last year as anything of significance. Um, So, and if you're one of those people, whatever, dude, like, you you don't, (laughs) you don't know, you don't know shit about football. Yeah. Right.
2: Those types of people always find something to bitch about. I I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, um, I've heard a lot of like, he can't win without talent. Okay. Well, you're describing every head coach in college football. Um, not only that, you guys got to remember, I mean, after 2019, there was a huge, huge transition period. They lost Javon Hall and, uh, due to an opt-out. They lost Penny Sewell, uh, Uh, their uh, elite left tackle. They lost Brady Breeze. They lost Thomas Graham. Uh, They lost a lot of their talent, and there was kind of a natural dip. And yeah, of course those Oregon State and Cal games are upsetting, and they kind of got run over in the Fiesta Bowl. But I agree with you, Alex. I don't know if you can really extrapolate anything of significance from 2020, just based on how complicated it was. Um, these guys weren't really given like a full offseason, and um, I agree. I, I think if you're, I think Mario <laughs> Cristobal doesn't have anything to prove. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself on that one. I think that this year kind of is a proving year, just how last season ended. But I don't think Mario Cristobal needs anything else to prove to the fan base. I mean, this guy went ten and two with the Oregon Ducks in 2019, got him to a Roseville victory. I believe that was in his second year as head coach. So. I I think this guy – I mean, I think this directory is going to continue to go up for him as a head coach. He just signed an extension. Obviously, the Oregon brass thinks that he's, you know, capable of taking them to the college playoff. I certainly am also in that camp. Uh, He's already shown what he can do with a talented team, and the teams are only going to get more talented as these recruiting classes. Yeah, I don't know how you
0: can't believe in it. I don't know how you can't believe in a guy like that. He's like 25-10 and as the Oregon head coach, and three of those losses came last year in that funky COVID season like Alex talked about. Well like, Yeah. The thing that people have to the thing that people have to understand is changing. Like when you change the makeup of a team, like you said, it's a different feel than it used to be. When you bring that physicality, when you try to make a program like more physical, like more aggressive, that takes time, and it's based on what you recruit. The way he's recruiting three, four, five years from now, it's going to be a whole different conversation when it comes to the ducks. So, yeah. No expectations will be though.
1: expectations will be super high ne- next year for sure. Um, then we can have that conversation on, like, what type of coach he is and definitely the year after that. Because if you look at all the teams that have won uh, national championships over the last five years, um, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, uh, other than LSU because they're kind of – I know they're they're not as competitive as, as they, they were um, the year they won. That year they also – I am pretty sure almost their all of their starters went to the NFL at some capacity – if they were even drafted or if they are undrafted free agents. So that's kind of like a one-off. That was one of the best college football teams of all time, in my opinion. But if you look at an Mm -hmm. Alabama and Clemson, those coaches have been at the helm for each over five years. Nick Saban's been at Alabama for, I believe, over 10 years. So... It takes a while yeah. for a program to get to that elite level where you're competing for a national championship every year. And if you have those expectations, look to those programs at their blueprint because that's exactly what fucking Mario Cristobal is doing right now, year over year, yep. recruiting top 10 classes. And this mm-hmm. is only our third year that we've done that. So um, he has the blueprint. He knows what he's doing. He's mimicking exactly what he learned for, under Nick Saban at Alabama when he was the offensive line coach. Um, he's a great recruiter. It's just going to take a while. Um, But if expectations are high this year, I get that. But um, it's, in my opinion, if you want to be one of those analytical Twitter finger people, like it's going to be next year and the year after (laughs) that, where we can have that conversation. This year is not it.
0: Well,
2: Mario Cristobal just said that himself. I think he was just quoted as saying, um, we're on our way. We're not there yet, but we're certainly on our way. Um, Yeah. And I would echo that statement. All right, fellas. Um, Do you guys want to comment at all on Tim DeRuiter or Joe Moorhead? I mean, Joe Moorhead's – I can quickly kind of recap that. Um, uh, We signed Tim DeRuiter, uh, Cal's defensive coordinator. Um, I think there's a lot of expectation for him coming into his first year in Eugene. Joe Moorhead will have his first full season as an offensive coordinator at the helm at Oregon. Um, What do you guys think of those two guys?
0: I'm super excited about Tim DeRuiter, man. I mean, I think – any defensive coordinator who can think outside the box um, and see someone like a KT and a, and a Sewell and just Flo, the flow these guys that we have and think of creative ways to play them and position swapping. It's just things that most defensive coordinators don't think about taking a guy like KT and taking his hand out the dirt a little bit, letting him play standing up or even covering some tight ends. Man, I mean, look at what he did with it's not that he had no talent, but he's never had this kind of talent. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what he does.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think I'm pretty excited. It sucks getting getting rid of uh, or losing Andy Avalos to Boise State, but um, um, I'm pretty excited to have a new defensive coordinator. If you just look at what he's done in the past and where he, some of the players he's coached and um, the programs that he's been at, um, other than like a, other than a small stint at Texas A&M where he actually got to coach Vaughn Miller, who everyone knows who that everyone who knows, <laughs> everyone knows who that guy is um, doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, he coached. He's coached at think, Air Force. Air Force, Fresno State, and Cal. Um, no disrespect to those programs, but they're not on the level Oregon is right now. Um, and, and I think the players that he has at his disposal now, he's gonna get the most out of them because he's he's done that in the past. His track record has proven that. Um, he's coached over, I think he's got around like 15 dudes that he's coached that, that have been drafted in the NFL, coming from smaller tier programs, as mentioned. Um, His ceiling's definitely high, and I think he's got a lot to work with, and I think he's going to get the most out of him. So um, I'm fired up for him to be the new defensive coordinator. Excited to see what he uh, what he brings us here.
2: I I I couldn't agree more, fellas. All right, well, let's move on to the the schedule for 2021. Now I got pulled up right here. Uh, We can kind of quickly go over our thoughts. Uh, You know, outside of the well, I mean, we, we can just go from the top to bottom. Um, As I look at this schedule, I don't think that Oregon, this certainly isn't the hardest schedule. Uh, Fortunately, Oregon will, uh, you know, they'll dodge Arizona State this year. they are also miss USC, um, who they haven't had any problem with in the last couple of years. Uh, But it certainly is nice to have them outside of that schedule. Um, When you guys look at this schedule from top to bottom, what games do you see that could
1: potentially be a problem for Oregon?
2: say... say
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Ohio State. We don't. I mean, we don't need to talk about that. That's going to be an issue. That's going to be an issue, even if we, you know, next year or the year after. Considering how we've been done, any year they're going to be hard. So, and they're they're going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem for anyone, even Alabama, Clemson. So, um, we don't need to dig into that too much. But I think UW will be a problem this year, considering that we have to play them away. Uh, I still think we get business done. I think their quarterback's super overrated. I think that dude's all cap. Uh, I think he's a generic quarterback with no character, uh, just a conservative, conservative UW quarterback that we've seen in the past. He fits the mold of that program. Um, just a
0: kindle, <laughs> just a, 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 just a wet a towel. Just, like a, like to just a
1: one, yeah, just a wet <laughs> towel. Um, I don't see that guy making. I don't see that guy taking chances against Oregon's defense. And they're going to play a conservative game. Uh, I think we have the tools to open it up on them and beat them um, in Seattle, which would be sick. I would say uh, Utah is always tough. We have to play them in Salt, Salt Lake City. Those games are always um, interesting um, over there. Um, but also just a couple, like I guess, like Black Horse teams like in the Pac-12 that we have to play this year. I definitely go with UCLA. They get their... Um, starting senior back last year, we hardly beat them. Um, you know, I think we all agree that that was more of an escape if anything, like, I don't know if we should even (laughs) have won that game last year. Um, they lose their running back who did really good against us, but they do get their senior, um, quarterback back. Um, that will be interesting. I don't want to predict on if they're going to win or lose that game yet, but, uh, yeah, it's a tough schedule, man. I, I don't know who else in the North has a schedule like us. Um, so I, I think just kind of summing it up, it's, it's going to be probably Washington, Utah, and then maybe even a team like Cal. That gives us a problem, right? So um, we'll see. But I think I primarily it. we need to focus and worry about probably UW and um, yeah. Utah. I'm sure all Oregon Duck fans are going to be watching the uh, Michigan-Washington game this year. So
0: it'll be That's interesting. Nice. Facts, I, I agree 100%. Um, Washington, as a Duck fan, Washington's like that team that I hate to watch play us until the game's over um, just because it's yeah. always, like, it's just stressful. Um, I do think we'll get past them this year, even though it's in Seattle. Um, dude, I'm worried about Utah. I don't know what it is, something about them. They've got a lot of transfers recently that are, like, quality players from other programs. Um, so, did they have, did they get a quarterback? Uh, is it
1: Yeah, from uh,
0: Baylor. What's his name. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm worried about Utah more than anybody. I think they're the one that kind of, and it's so close to the end of the year. I think it can kind of, kind of spoil, not spoil our season, but kind of mess up the mentality of our players moving forward. So Utah's the game I'm worried about for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we can all agree that Ohio state looks very, very suspect. That's a game that you have to play perfect football and beyond Uh <laughs> To have a shot in. I will say that the, based on the trajectory that Oregon is going in, we will be able to compete with teams like this. If, if this game were two years down the road, I think this is a much, much closer game on paper. I don't think Oregon's quite there yet. I've got a loss on September 11th in Columbus um, against Ohio State. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say that we lose in Salt Lake City. Uh, on November 20th against Utah, I think Oregon does go into Washington this year. Um, it's an absolute buzzsaw to play in that stadium every year, even when Washington's down. That's just a hell of a place to go into and get a win. Um, so, but I do think they, I think, I think they escape Washington this year. Um, I think that, I think to Alex's point, they are going to get matched up well against UCLA. Um, to his point again, they narrowly escaped last year, probably a game they should have lost. I don't see them losing to Cal two years in a row. Um, I think that'll be a revenge game for a lot of the guys on Oregon's roster this year. Uh, and aside from the games I just mentioned, I really don't see another team that could give us an issue other than maybe, I mean, Oregon States kept it close with Oregon. The last two years they beat, they certainly beat Oregon last year in 2020. Um, and the game was close in 2019 too. Jonathan Smith is doing a hell of a job up there in Corvallis. So, um, yeah. I'm going to go 10 and two on the year guys. Um, Interested to see what your predictions are from a win-loss standpoint.
1: I agree. I think they're – I think ideally you'd like to see them go 10-2. and two. I think they, they're pretty – Oregon, always, and I hate to say it as a fan, they always drop a random game in the conference. Yeah. Um, yep. They're never perfect in the conference. So I see them dropping a game. If they can split one of those two hard games between, like I said, Utah or Washington, I see them going 10-2, and two, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're a 9-win nine nine-win team as well. Um. I'm just pissed off that u not coming into Eugene this year, so I can't throw dog food at their fans. I'm not going to lie.
2: Well, yeah, no, it's definitely a missed opportunity there, dude. Uh, but you know what? Sad. I like I, I like when Oregon goes up to Washington and beats them in their own house. I've been to a couple of those games um, over the years uh, as a fan, going as an Oregon fan. There's nothing like beating Washington in their own house. Um, you know, the greatest setting in college football. You can blow me, dude. I'm so sick of hearing them. Dude, you got, you got to take this with a grain of salt, too. Alex and I grew up in Seattle, so we, you know, we've lived in Anandesbury territory for the, basically the entirety of our lives as Oregon fans. And I am just so beyond sick of hearing about the University of Washington. And now I live in a similar place down in Austin Texas, where the local college team is just all gas. And they haven't been good since the 90s. Dude, do you guys realize... I'll, we'll save this rant for Husky Hate Week. Do you oh, yeah. guys realize that... The Mariners, lead, major, the, the Mariners lead, the Mariners have the longest playoff drought sorry the long, Mariners had the longest playoff drought in major American sports. Last time they That's won a playoff game smart. I was 12 years old. It's in 2001. They have won a playoff game more recently than the University of Washington football team has won a game in January. That's a real fact.
1: That's a depressing and yet fact yet here we for, we are, for those fans.
2: Yeah, that's that's a, that's a hard to swallow pill. Like many others with that franchise, uh, they're the beyond the most. I, I, the point I'm getting to is, I like that we're going back up to Seattle this year for an opportunity to beat them again in front of all those loser fans. I'm, I, I absolutely love the opportunity. Facts um, fuck Washington!
0: But
1: guys, we dominate the West Coast. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I would also mention that this will probably be. I think we, we we haven't brought this up yet. I think that this year and next year. Uh, maybe the last two years that we see competitive games between Washington and Oregon. Um, I think these are two programs that are clearly going in separate directions. Um, Oregon's, from a recruiting perspective, and, and just their performance on the field is going one direction. Washington has hung, has hung in there. Um, unfortunately, Jimmy Lake has not dominated the West Coast. Their <laughs> recruiting has suffered uh, pretty severely in the last couple of years they've got maybe a year or two to figure this thing out before things fall off. And, you know, if you don't want to listen to my opinion, as a Ducks fan, you can talk to any realistic Husky fan out there up in Seattle. They'll tell you the same thing. Uh, so enjoy it while it lasts fellas. Uh, this might be last year or two that we see competitive games between those two programs. And we can, we can finish Die on game. that and save the rest for Husky hate week, man. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for that one, bro. Husky Husky yeah. That's, that,
2: that's yeah. That, that'll, that'll be a good one. Um, all right, so uh, with the individual game predictions out the way, fellas, uh, I'm interested to see what you guys think uh, about players to look for uh, going into the year. I want to, I want two players. Um, can be any player on the field, uh, offense or defense. Uh, we can start with you, Alex. Who are two players you're looking at this year going in 2021?
1: Ooh, it's a good question. There's a ton. Um, just the depth that we have. Um, I'll go offense first. Micah Pittman. Um, As mentioned earlier, dudes had a really uh, unlucky career at at U of O, Um, came in as a ESPN top 150 recruit, one of the best recruits out of the state of California. I remember following him following him out of uh, Calabasas High School. He was a big time recruit for us. Um, I remember that was a very anticipated um, uh, whatever you want to call it. Reveal or whatever when he committed to Oregon, uh, got a ton of playing time as a true freshman. Every game he played in as a true freshman, they won. The year that they went to the Rose Bowl and beat Wisconsin, uh, he uh, he got injured his his freshman year. Didn't make four games last year. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what had happened, but I think there was like a COVID issue with him, um, and he missed a couple games too. Also, just piggybacking on what we've already beat to submission already is last year is just not really something that we're going to even really talk about in terms of the program moving forward. So I think just last year and the year before him getting injured, um, he's just been unlucky with his career. He hasn't had full seasons to really show his true talents. Uh, but every time he plays against good teams and good opponents, he does well. The only two touchdowns he's had at Oregon have been against ranked opponents. Washington, the game in Seattle that they came back and won, um, and then the game against USC. Um, so I'm super stoked for him. I think he has NFL-level talent, and he definitely knows that. Um, and this is kind of one of those breakout years that he kind of has to have if, if the NFL is um, even in his future. So um, he's got a ball out this year. I think he will if he stays healthy. Expect a big year from that guy. Um going over to defense. Um I'm fucking fired up about this guy. I don't know about you, but I'm talking about baby man. I'm Heem Justin Flo, Fucking uh, Water Boy. <laughs> boy. L El- Big L calls him Bobby Boucher. Sex. This dude is a maniac. Um I mean, people have totally forgot about this guy. I think for the most part, um, second best overall recruit we've ever had at the University of Oregon, along with Kevin Thibodeau, who's on the roster. So, um, and one of the best, one of the best players to come out of the state of California. That recruiting class, best defensive recruit out of the state of California. That recruiting class. So, this guy's ceiling is as high as can be. Um, you know, everyone's seen his highlight tape. They've all gone viral. If he can stay healthy, this guy has um, all the ability to be an all-conference player. Technically, he's a freshman. He could be freshman defensive player of the year in the Pac-12, which is insane that that guy's a freshman. You've seen photos of him. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm stoked for this guy. He's a character. I, I'll follow him on Instagram. He's a funny guy, so I, I hope he can stay healthy and – Um, I think having, like, a real full season paired along him and uh, Noah Sewell, which Duck fans have just been dreaming about over the last couple years, it's finally going to happen. Who knows if he's going to start. Mario Cristobal never likes to talk about um, that type of information before games. But I think, you know, Isaac Slade transferring to SMU last year says a lot about what's happening in those practices. So mm-hmm. um, for that guy to leave and the type of leadership he brought to the table and him being a senior and him him leaving, not sure if he was a junior or senior, but definitely um, had been in the program for a while. that guy leaving and Justin Flo getting healthy. We don't need to dig into that too much. But I, I think it is indicative of what's going on behind closed doors um, down there in Eugene. So fired up about this guy. Can't wait to see what he does this year.
0: Yeah, bro, those are great picks. I think Justin Flo... Um, oh, my bad, Will. Um, no, I ahead. think Justin go Flo's ahead. absolutely a freak of nature. Yeah, he's like the modern-day Bobby Boucher. Dude's a freak. But um, <laughs> for, for me, I'd probably say on the offensive side of the ball, I'm looking for Devin Williams to just, like, ball out this year. Dude is averaging 19.1 yards a catch. I mean, I know it was a shortened season, but averaging 19.1 yards a catch is extremely hard to do. As someone also who played football... Uh, not at the level of these guys, but uh, I played receiver myself. Yeah, it's not happening. Uh, he led the team last year uh, in yards. Um, he was like one of five receivers in the Pac-12 to have multiple 100-yard games. He was one of two receivers to have consecutive 100-yard games. He's the first player since, what, Dylan Mitchell to have back-to-back 100-yard games for us since 2018, which I think is kind of nuts. Um, just a super rangy athlete. Dude's like 6'5", 205. He was the number one athlete coming out. Um, I mean, I think the thing for me that sticks out for him is he was a guy that never focused on wide receiver. Uh, coming out of high school, he played quarterback, safety. He played everywhere. Um, when he went to USC, committed to USC originally, and then made the right choice by transferring to the U of O. Uh, was like the first time he really got to focus on playing just strictly wideout. So I'm excited to see as he progresses with this core, this wide receiving group, um, what he can do. I think uh, the good thing for him is he's going to obviously feel like an outside role. And I think if somebody does have to move, obviously with the guys we have out there with like Jalen red and people like that, I think the one person that fits at every position is, is a guy like my commitment. Um, so that's, that's a good thing for him. I'm um, on the defensive side of the ball. I think a guy that's just been blatantly disrespected this year is Varone. Varone McKinley is to me, he has everything you'd want in a, in an NFL safety. I mean, other than maybe like freakish size, he's explosive to the ball. Um, They don't have him on any of the watch lists I'm looking at as far as, like, real notoriety. I think he's a guy that could be first-team, all-Pac-12 defense. Um, I mean, he's from right down the street from where I stay at in Carrollton, Texas, and he comes from a great program. Um, He just has it. I mean, there's some things you can't teach. You can't teach size. You can't teach instincts. That play versus UCLA changed my whole perception of that guy. I mean, the ability to, like, Think to tip a ball away from someone trying to recover the fumble, scoop it up and run it 35 yards is like it doesn't come around a lot. So I'm really excited to see what he does this year with this defense. Uh, he's like the main reason I can't bet against the secondary. I just believe in him so much, man.
2: Yeah, I think uh, two of the really underrated things about Veron McKinley as a player, as, as I see it, um, one is his total his dedication to the game um, off the field. Uh, from what I can tell, this guy's like a you know total tape heard this guy's on NFL game days, he's dissecting, uh, you know, football, um, watches every game. Um, he's truly a student of the game and I think that's what sets him apart, uh, from other players. And I think that's what kind of gives me reason to believe that he'll make a, a great NFL player someday. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to Ron McKinley is how he kind of stepped into a leadership role last year. Um, obviously you mm-hmm. lost guys like Brady breeze, guys like Javon Holland, uh, Thomas Graham was out um uh you know due to due to a uh, do an opt-out but he kind of stepped into that that role I mean I, again he kind of lived in the shadow of uh that secondary in 2019 and still made the uh, all freshman list in the Pac-12 had led the team in interceptions and then the following year um though it was a shortened year of course he seemed to be the one leading lead the team in the huddle uh at the beginning of every game so um definitely a guy I love that pick Ellis um I think uh, the future is really bright for him and I'm excited to watch him as well. Uh, what you got? I'll go into my, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to go into my man. Um, one guy uh, who fans are very familiar with, but a guy that I'm looking to bounce back this season CJ Ferdell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously fans know him for a multitude of reasons. <clears throat> he had a 1200 yard rusher in 2019. He was, he was part of the You know, the huge run towards the end of the season that got them to the Rose bowl. Um, you know, super talented back. Going into 2020, he was seen as a lot of, seen by a lot of people as the best running back in the Pac-12. Um, obviously, Jamar Jefferson has something to say about that. And CJ Verdell's season uh, was not what we thought it was going to be. Um, his workload pretty much went down a downward spiral uh, from the very beginning against Stanford. Although he looked good, um, his carries just seemed to plummet. Um, he did not have the year that we thought he was going to have. Uh, I still think the talent's there for him. Um, certainly that doesn't go away. I think with five returning offensive linemen, um, his opportunity to do something good uh, is very on the table, and I expect a big bounce-back season from him. The other guy that I'm going to look at, and I, th- I think a lot of other Oregon fans are excited to see this year, is Dante Manning. Uh, whether he starts or not, you know this is you know a huge recruit. He's the 11th best all-time recruit on Oregon's list. Um, I think he was the... Uh correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was the best recruit coming out of Missouri. Uh when he when he committed to Oregon, uh he was the fourth best corner. So I mean he's gonna be tested right away too. I mean he's going to big Ohio State in week two. uh you're gonna see what this kid's made of uh right off the bat. And I'm am excited to see what he can do. Um so yeah, those those would be my two. Yeah, he looks um sick. Yeah, yeah, and um Like we we kind of alluded to it earlier. I'm just excited to get new blood in there. I mean, for a while, it's been De'Amador, Lenore, and Thomas Graham. And obviously, Oregon fans love to have them start at corner. They were great players for Oregon. And I think they're going to have good NFL careers as well. But it's always exciting to see new faces go in there, right? Um, Yeah. So I guess to kind of wrap this up, I want to kind of get an idea for what you guys think are the keys to offense and and defense this year, Um, the keys to success, so to speak. Uh, it could be anything. Uh, it could be coaching. It could be a player. What are your keys to success on offense and defense this year, Alex, or wh- whoever wants to go first?
1: So you go first, bro. I think. Oh, word. I think quarterback play. I think <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs>
2: you can take it, big dog. <laughs>
1: That's you, big dog. I'd say quarterback play on offense. Um, they got all the tools to be successful uh, with their wideouts. Their offensive line returns all their starters, and they got good running backs. Um, and they do have good options at tight end too. Um, I was actually going to think about you know talking about Spencer Webb as my kind of lookout player this year with DJ Johnson injured. Mm-hmm. So they they have options. We just they just got to produce um, from the, from the quarterback whoever it's going to be. So um, don't need to go into that too much. I, we've already kind of talked about that earlier. Um, defense. That's a good question. It will be interesting to see how well the. Um, linebackers play this year, considering how talented they are. They got a fucking room, dude, of guys. So I think if they come out and they become the emphasis of the defense and um, the strong point on the defensive side of the ball, they can be super successful. So that means Justin Flo coming in, starting alongside Noah Sewell. Um, they, they have a tremendous amount of capability um, in, in terms of what they can do this year. So uh, I go with QB play under offense and uh, linebacker unit on defense.
2: Well, uh, we're definitely aligned on offense. Uh, I think the key to success this year for the Ducks uh, on that side of the ball is quarterback. I think this team will go as the quarterback goes. Uh, kind of going back to our position group discussion that we had earlier in the show, it's kind of the only position that I have questions about. Um, although I am optimistic, I think that's the really only the one. It's obviously the most important position on the field on offense. Um, and I, again, I just think this team's going to go as that as that group goes. So I think, uh, without a doubt, the key to success for the Ducks this year on offense is the quarterback position. I think the key to success on defense um, will be that linebacking core. Uh, to go with what you said, Alex, and I think. I mean, look, you guys, going back to 2020, they had a running back problem. And actually, you can go back even a couple more years than that. I think the big Achilles heel, and you guys can – I'm sure you might have other opinions on this. One of the biggest Achilles heels for this team, you know, going back years, has been running backs. Mm -hmm. Um, They gave up pretty much 100 yards to five out of the seven opponents they played in 2020. I think they only gave up like 98 to Deion McIntosh against Washington State. He was like too shy of 100. But Brees Hall went off. Jamar Jefferson went for like nearly 250. Uh, Stanford went for 100. Um, that's going to have to shore up uh, if they want success in 2021. And, and uh, I think with Tim Druder coming in, that gives them a boost. Um, as we alluded to earlier, I think having that tandem, that linebacker between Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, huge boost. So I look at linebackers being the key to success on defense this year. Ellis, what you got?
0: Yeah, I'm in that same ilk when it comes to Defense, I think the linebacking core is just too important. I mean, with those guys, with with Sewell and Justin Flo, and then even KT taking his hand out the dirt and kind of being someone who not necessarily is a backer now, but is kind of in that mix from time to time. Um, I think it's just your most talented guys have to play well for you to be successful. And I mean, when you got two of your top four recruits in one position group, they they got a ball out. Uh, So definitely linebacker on that side of the ball. When it comes to offense, I do agree that it's quarterback, but I see it a little different. I think regardless of who that guy is, whether it's, uh, whether it's a B, whether it's Ty Thompson, whether it's, uh, Robbie Ashford, whoever's back there. Um, I think the wide receiving core is going to have to produce. There's so much talent on that, on that group. I mean, even from the third, fourth string guys, um, and I think they're capable of it, but I think everybody's going to have to produce to kind of catch a slant, take it 15, 20 yards further, you know, and kind of give our quarterback, whoever that may be, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more breathing room. Um, so man, I think this wide receiving core, which I think they're gonna do it. I see so much potential there from the veterans to the, the young guys, it's just they're they just have it and everybody's a little different. So you you kinda you get it's like Baskin Robbins. There's thirty one flavors in that bitch. But um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for, definitely. So I'm excited about uh, the yeah, wide receiving I, core.
2: I think you're right. I think there's a lot of pressure on that group to perform this year. Um and as you alluded to, I think it's just because of how stacked they are. Mm-hmm. Um I think that they were able to mix up the. If you look at the receiving numbers last year, I think they were able to get the ball around, um, and I think they should, they should be able to do the same thing this year. But um, I think with that, that kind of wraps it up. Unless there's any uh, anything that you guys want to add, I think that concludes our first episode. We made it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Till next time, fellas. Till next time, um, folks. folks.